Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Spirit, that is our, that's our prayer. She would break out in this room. Well, Psalm 122 says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Let me highlight one of those words. I was glad. Anybody glad that you came into the house of the Lord today? Like you, you made it. Like you're, you're, you're here. It might have been a crazy week. I have no clue what you're coming and walking in here with, but uh, it doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't matter because you made it. You made it another you made another day. God has given you another chance, chance to represent him. God has given you another chance to, to live. God has given you another chance to breathe. I think sometimes we take this stuff for granted, but man, you woke up. Like you, you, you pressed your way and you're still here and the stuff that took others out and caused people to be plumb crazy. Here you are in this room singing spirit break out. Amen. Well, it is a delight to be with you on this Sunday morning. Welcome to all of our first-time visitors. Uh, I wasn't in the room. I was finishing up some stuff, and I didn't get to see who the first-time visitors were. If you're in this room and this is the first time you're visiting Epiphany, can I just see your hand? Can I just see your hands raised? Shout out. Welcome. Welcome. Wow, it's a crew of y'all. Welcome. 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 Welcome, brother. Welcome. It's so good to have y'all here. And those of you who are online uh, hanging out with us, we are grateful that you are hanging out with us online. Uh, We don't take it for granted. Uh, you do not have to visit uh, Epiphany Church. You don't have to stop scrolling. You don't have to jump onto YouTube to hang out with us, uh, but you, you do, and we're grateful for it. Um, I'm not just excited to see you guys, but I'm also excited to preach the Word. So do me a favor, grab your Bibles, and let's get to the Word of God together. We'll be in First, First Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2. Hey, thank y'all for that birthday, love. That was a surprise and deeply appreciated. I do wear a size 10 and a half on the feet. I like a good pair of J's, I'm just saying. No, seriously, I'm, uh, I'm grateful. I'm really grateful. Uh, Gabe mentioned this, but I want to double down on it. Our members meeting is uh, immediately after this service. So if you're a member, if you've gone through Covenant Community, if you've uh, received the right hand of fellowship, uh, we, we would ask that you would just hang out just for a little bit. Uh, we will not be long, but there are some things that we want to make sure that we, uh, we communicate to you. Uh, I, I believe, you know, the scriptures are true where it says people perish because of lack of vision. Um, and, you know, we want to make sure that we are communicating the vision. The only thing worse than, than not having vision is having it and not communicating it. So it's important for, for you guys to kind of know the direction of the church and kind of where things are going. Some information we want to lay before specifically just our members. And so if you are a member, we ask that you just hang out. Uh, immediately following this service. And last, before I get into the word, um, man, we're starting a new sermon series next week. It's called, um, it's called Created for Relationships. It is a relationship series and it's going to be, it's going to be good, man. We're going to be talking about the subtitle was the messy, the tension and the truth. We're going to be talking about, um, many different types of relationships. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's Darius Daniels that has a book called Relational Intelligence. So important, man. You can't get around it. You can't get around relationships, whether it's family relationships and the tension and dynamics that come uh, with that, whether it is marriage, whether it's trying to figure out friendships. Uh, It's not always always easy. We're also going to be talking about sex and sexuality because that is a form of a relationship. And we're going to be talking about what that that looks like in terms of scripture. 
Uh, we're going to be talking about singleness and dating. So it's a lot that's going to go into the next five weeks starting next Sunday. And I think it's, I mean, I really do think it's going to be uh, foundational in your spiritual formation and your spiritual walk. So I uh, hope, hope you guys are, will hang out with us and bring your friends. It's definitely one of those sermon series that you want to bring your friends, especially them friends that you, you know, you, you kind of, you're on the fence with them. Bring them. Those are one. Those are one. Don't even tell them. Just, <laughs> just bring them. All right, let's get into the word. First Peter chapter two. All right, I'm gonna just jump in. You should pick me up in verse number eleven. First Peter chapter two, verse eleven. Pay attention to every word that that Peter says here. He says, "Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against." your soul. Keep your conduct amongst the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you, I, I love the, how definite that is. When they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We can stop there. I, I wanted to preach from more verses, but the Lord kind of arrested my attention with these two. So we'll spend, we'll spend the next few minutes talking about these two. I want to preach today from the topic entitled Engaging the Culture. Engaging in the culture. Let me, uh, let me pray, breathe a word of prayer before we dig in. Uh, Father, we are, um, we're anticipating that you're going to speak to us today. What, what I love is, Lord, you're, we got receipts. And the receipts is that you, you actually do communicate to your, to your people. You communicate to us in our times of devotion privately with you. You communicate with us through prayer. Sometimes you communicate, communicate with us through relationships and friendships and Lord, we, we think that one of the ways that you do communicate to us is through your word, by speaking and preaching your word. So, Lord, I pray that this moment would be no different. Would you get at us for your glory? I pray for somebody in this room that is trying to figure out their Christian walk and culture and that intersection that, that sometimes can be the water can get real muddy. Lord, I pray, oh God, that you would give us clarity today. May this not just be a sermon. May this, not, may this not just be the thing that gets us through the week. The last thing we need is just a word to get us through the week. We need something that transforms our life, changes our behavior, changes our thought process, changes how we view the world and the people that are in it and the world that is around us. So, Lord, speak to us. Pray Jesus will be glorified through my time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Engaging in the culture. Uh, earlier this week, Tuesday, Ty and I had a, uh, a ministry event that we had to go to in the city. And, um, you know, it was just one of those events we weren't sure. It was the first time we've ever been to this specific event. It was a, a 75th anniversary uh, for, for a ministry. So they literally, this ministry has been doing ministry since 1948. And so uh, we were invited to celebrate, you know, what that looks like. So we looked at, you know, we looked at what was going on. We looked at you know, the purpose of why we were going. Then we looked at the venue. It was a nice venue, right on the pier, overlooking the Brooklyn Bridge. And I, I, Ty and I was like, man, this, this is nice, but what do we wear? So I hit up three different people asking, what should, what should the tire be? What should, should I wear? And I got three different answers. So we were like, man, let's just, let's just err on the side of caution. And so let's, let's get dressed up. It seems like a nice evening, nice dinner. Let's get, let's get dressed up. So we went in the closet and pulled out our all black and, you know, we, I mean, we, we, we were dressed all the way up. And then we got there. And I saw people walking in. One girl was walking in with a jean jacket. Another dude got on a sweatshirt. And Ty looked at me and was like, babe, we are severely overdressed. Anybody ever did that before? 
Or you walked into a room and you thought you was, you know, you thought you was killing it and you walked in and everybody was dressed opposite. It's, it's, nothing more, it's nothing more embarrassing than being overdressed in a room full of people that are underdressed or vice versa. I actually think it's worse when you're underdressed in a situation where you're supposed to be dressed a little bit, you know, a little bit more. It is in those moments that I personally have found that I don't like the feeling of feeling out of place. And I know that, I know that to be true of, of everybody in the room, that, that feeling of, of not fitting in. All of us deeply embedded into who we are is this feeling and this sense of wanting to just fit in. And, and I, don't, I don't mean fit in as in follow what everybody else is doing and look like everybody else and talk like everybody else. I don't mean that type of fit in, but all of us just, we, we want to try. All of us want to squad. All of us want to crew. All of us want a, a group of people that we can say, these are my people and this is why we pledge. This is why we join all types of clubs, whether it's a a, 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 a rotary club or a book club. We join clubs because we want to we want to try. This is why some of us play sports. It's not because we're nice at the sport, but it's because I got a camaraderie. I got a, I got a crew. I got a I got a team of people because I like the feeling of fitting in. But what if I told you that the feeling of fitting in as a Christian is actually of not fitting in as a Christian is actually very normal. In other words, when God saved you, when you professed faith in Christ, there was just some Christian values, some things that you have now that you were living toward that you no longer fit into the places that you used to fit into. Anybody ever went back around your friend group and you tried to do the same stuff that you did before you gave your life to the Lord and it was just something in you that just was uneasy, that just didn't feel, that just didn't feel right? I wonder if that's God calling you not to fit in because as a Christian, we are never supposed to fit into the culture. Now, hear me and hear me well. You do not disconnect from the culture, but we're never supposed to fit in like a, like a puzzle piece in a complicated puzzle. All, all of us should have those moments where we were like, man, I used to laugh at, at, at that, but that's not funny anymore. You should have that group chat that you're like, ah, man, I would have I really, really got in on that one, but it's just not funny anymore. And some atmospheres that you go in that you're like, man, I used to really vibe out and have fun here, but I don't, I no longer have fun here. It is because when God saved you, he gave you a new home address and it is not earth. And so the things of this earth and the shiny objects of this earth that lure you in the culture that pulls you in, we are called to be just a little outside of it. You're supposed to stick out like a sore thumb. And so what Peter is going to do. And the two verses that are before us is Peter's going to help us to understand how to engage the culture, but not fully assimilate in terms of fitting in in a perfect way, but still engage in the culture. And he does so in such a, such a beautiful way. Before we get into the text, I really, really want you to pay attention to the tone. Because sometimes when we read words, we just read them and we move quickly. But I don't want you to just read past this really quickly today. I actually want you to pay attention to the tone in which Peter uses because Peter is going to challenge them specifically on sin, but he does so in such a loving way. Look at the words that he uses in the first four words. He says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Let me lift back up those first four words. Beloved, I urge you. First of all, this just amazes me. I got stuck here, y'all. I got stuck here because the apostle Peter, and I want to put his title out there, because the apostle Peter means he has authority, and even though he has authority to command and make imperatives and give strong declarations, he doesn't do so. He appeals to them as friends and says, beloved. 
that this word beloved here in the original language is, a, is, is agapetos. It, it, it literally means, it means a, 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 a beloved or, or a friend. It, it means like dear friend, love, a loving friend. And so how he's appealing to them, he's appealing to them in such a loving way. And then even when he gets into it, he says, I urge that I command. Y'all remember Paul. I think Paul would have probably spoke a little different. Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, he, he says, the things that I am writing to you, if, if you're, you're a prophet or you're spiritual, you should consider that the things that I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. So in other words, Paul literally said, what I'm writing to you right now in 1 Corinthians is on par with what you read in the Old Testament. He, he, and that was early on. So, P, so Peter could have walked in a different level of swag and authority, but he doesn't. He simply urges them. And the tone is so important. Before we dig into the actual context of what he is saying, it is important for us to first rest in the fact that he is doing so and making an appeal in a loving way. Now, here's why this is important, Chris. This is so important because I've pastored long enough that I realize whenever you challenge somebody on sin, whether it's, and I've had to do this on, on the sin of of, uh, of sexual sins. I've had to challenge people on the sin of gossip. That was very clear. And sometimes, not all the times, but sometimes if we are not careful, even if sin is presented to you in a loving way or, or, or the challenge is presented to you in a loving way, we can automatically assume we're being rebuked. Please don't miss this point, y'all. If y'all move quickly here, we'll, 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 you'll miss the, the meat of the sermon. Don't ever assume because somebody is challenging you. Look at the words Peter uses. Beloved, I urge you. Just because somebody is challenging you and calling you out and tapping you on the shoulder and telling you stop going left doesn't mean that they are against you, hating, jealous, or they're rebuking you. Sometimes they're just lovingly trying to correct you. And I'm, I'm telling you, I've, I've had the experiences with too many people where I've tried to encourage them to think differently about a specific sin. And here's the thing about, you know, our lives and our spiritual walk. The longer you do something, the more you think it's okay, and the more you miss the blind spots. And so what we need is people around us that will say, Beloved, I urge you. I want to talk to somebody in here that has a group of friends that are really good at challenging you. But you catch a tood with them. Because when they challenge you, you feel like, why are you in my business? And you, you know, you aggravated or, or you feel like it's a sharp rebuke. It may not be a sharp rebuke. And here's the other thing. Sometimes we automatically assume because you got challenged in church, we automatically assume and relate it to church hurt. But please hear me. Everything ain't church hurt. Some of it is good old rebuke and challenge and it's loving and you need it. I just don't want friends around me that are always going to pat me in sin. I don't want friends around me that won't tell me when I'm wrong. I, you need some friends that will say you were wrong. You need some friends that will tell you you're going left. You need some friends that will tell you that you are drifting because I found out that when you drift, you don't really know you're drifting until you've moved far away. And you need friends to say, yo, you started here. You, you were so on fire. You, you, you were in love with Jesus. You used to read your scriptures, but somewhere along the way, you begin to drift away. I don't know about y'all, but I, anybody got friends like that that will get at you and kick, care less that you got an attitude about it? That's what I need. I need friends that don't care about my feelings. They ain't going to be like, yo, you offended by it. They do it in a loving way. say, beloved, but they are direct. I don't know about y'all, but I don't need no pity patty. I need directness. 
And that, that's my prayer for everybody in this room. I love that Peter does this because Peter sets the tone for what rebuke looks like. Now, let me also speak on the other side because there are some of you that like rebuking. Y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about. There's a group of people in here that they, I mean, it just, it does something. So they get off on rebuking people and they walk into it. Go, I'm going to tell her all. I can't, you know, I'm a, I can't wait to chew him up. You know, the old mothers of the church, I love them. Thank God for the old mothers. But you're, y'all remember, they used to, they, I don't know about y'all, but they used to chew us up all the time. There was one mother at my church when I was growing up. She used to keep inside of her purse. She used to keep uh, some, some sewing equipment. She would have a you know, sewing pin. She had some thread. And if, you, if your split was too long, she'd be like, baby, come here for a second. She, she split you right up, boy. She sew you right up. Now, I'm not, t- I'm not saying go that far, but I, but I am saying it is something so good about somebody lovingly saying, beloved, I urge you. I, I, I urge you to, to, to walk in a, in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. That's what Philippians says, walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. And sometimes when we are not, you'll need to get rebuked or, or, or you'll need to get lovingly challenged. Can I also show you that Peter, I love that Peter is the one, and I'm drifting here. I love that Peter is the one that is giving this, uh, this, this loving challenge because he himself has actually been lovingly challenged before. Y'all, y'all, re- y'all remember he was, you know, he was sitting with the, with, with the Gentiles and they was chilling, they was having fun. And then the Jews came and he started to act hypocritical. And Paul said, yo, bro, come here, come here for a second. And Paul had to challenge him and get him together. That is what we need. And so what, what Peter does is, Peter says, beloved, I, I just urge you. I love the tone. But after he urges them, he identifies he labels them. He gives them a title. And this title is very important because it represents everybody in this room that has trusted in Jesus. Look at the title he gives them. In verse number 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Now, he doesn't have to use that language, but that language is very important because it gives them context for where their real location is, where they're supposed to reside, where they're supposed to live. When he says sojourners and exiles, he's saying, this ain't your home. I'm asking you to engage in a culture, but the culture in which you're engaging in is not your home. It's not your final destination. And everybody in this room, you got to understand, if you've trusted in Jesus, you are living in a culture and amongst a people and abiding by laws that this is not your final destination. I love the way the scriptures will say it. The Bible says that uh, Philippians 3.20 says, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So he calls them sojourners in exile. Now, upon just a quick glance at these two words, we will think that they are one and the same. But these are not the same thing. An, an exile is a long-term resident. It's somebody that was not born in that country or that city or that, or, or that town, but yet they're a transplant. They, 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 they move there, but that's not their home. That's not, where they, that's not where they were raised. That's not where they were born. Remember, we were in the book of, uh, the book of Daniel, and the Bible says that that, that Daniel and the rest of Israel got taken into captivity in Babylon. Remember, the Bible called them exiles because they were there for a long time. They got there as teenagers and Daniel didn't die till he was well in his 80s. And so they were there for many, many decades. So the Bible will call them exiles. But then sojourners is different. A sojourner is like a traveler. It's somebody that's passing through. Now, it doesn't matter that he's calling them sojourners or, or he's calling them exiles it still means the same thing, that this is not your home. So Peter's like, I'm about to, I'm about to ask you 
to do some things within the culture in which you live, but don't get it twisted. You do these things not to make it your home and stock up. You do these things in order to be faithful as you await your real home. And so what Peter is not doing is he's, ask, he's not asking them to be disconnected from where they are. He's not asking them to be disconnected from the culture. Some of y'all are so spiritually deep that you can't fathom being around non-believers. Ugh, what, am I, what am I doing here? There are, there are some of you that got saved and you automatically just wanted to be around the body. And so you go to small group, you serve, and I praise God for all of those things. I'm not beating you up because of those things, but if you ain't never around no non-believer, how are you being a witness? How, how, are you being a, how are you being a faithful witness? You are missing opportunities if you aren't intentional to make sure. And, and let me also say, be around non-believing friends and, and let them be real friends, but be around non-believing friends and don't make them feel like a project you're trying to fix. But let them, let them feel like people that are being loved and cared for and, and someone that you are concerned about. And I'm telling you, I got friends around me and some of them, when I tell y'all that they don't, they don't know the Lord, the group chat, I'd be like, ooh, this, this was tough. This is a rough day. Stuff that pop up in there may, 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 may make you nervous, but I, well, I'm intentional. I want to be there because you know what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5? I saved y'all to be salt and light. And then he calls us ambassadors, ambassadors that represent the interests of heaven. And so when I'm walking this earth, don't you get it twisted. Yeah, I want to be around all types of people, but I got an agenda. Everybody got an agenda. I got an agenda. What's my agenda? I want to see everybody around me love Jesus. Is that anybody's disposition that you want to see everybody? I want to see all my family members love Jesus. I want to see all my friends love Jesus. I want to see all my coworkers love Jesus. I want to see everybody on my floor love Jesus. I want to see everybody in my building love Jesus. I want to see everybody that's connected to me in that, in that little club. I want to see all of them know Jesus. And I, I love Peter because what Peter is saying is, look, I'm not asking you to be hermits. I'm asking you to be faithful witnesses. That intersection, y'all, of Christianity and culture is a muddy, it's a, the water's so muddy. It's a lot of tension in that, in that it clashes when you bring your Christianity in with your culture. And because we don't like the tension, uh, what we normally do is we retreat from the culture because we're not retreating from our faith. And so we retreat from the culture. And Peter is saying the opposite. The fact that he gives us principles on how to live in the culture is him saying, don't retreat, but engage. Because it is in the engagement that I learned that you can be a faithful witness. Some of y'all got some dope platforms. I mean, your God has put you in some dope spaces. You're in spaces that the church is not. And what we want to do is we think the only way we can be a witness is if we invite them to church. What about you live out the gospel so that they can see it and be like, man, there's something different about you. I, I can't explain. I don't know what it is, but there's something different about you. And you'll get the opportunity because they'll say, man, how in the world did you go through that struggle and you ain't lose your mind? You, Bro, let me tell you, Jesus held me up. Engage in the culture. Look at your neighbor and just say, engage in the culture. Nowhere in this text does he tell them to avoid it. The opposite is true. He actually tells them to engage in it. So much so, if you read, I'm not going to preach these verses, but if you read a couple verses later in verse 13, look at what he says in verse 13. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, 
whether it be to the emperor or as supreme or to governors. Like, he's like, look, every sphere of society you should be engaging in. And can I just say, engage in a faithful way? Because some of us miss opportunities to share our faith. Here's why. Because we're not good employees. So some of us, how, how, how are you going to share the gospel when you're on your way out the door to get fired? We milking the clock. I ain't going to say no names, but we checking, we, we clocking in on the train. I ain't going to say no names, Tasha. We clocking in on the train. We, we I mean, like, how are we going to be, how are we, like, we avoiding paying taxes. We claiming kids that ain't ours. Oh, I know I'm talking right. I know it's true. And we do all of these things, but at the same time, we go, God bless me indeed. He like, bro, you're not even faithful. And so, I'm sorry, Tom. Engage in the culture is what I'm trying to say. And do so, listen, and also do so without being weird. Because can't, can't nobody, like, sometimes we mess up our witness because we so deep. We so, we so, we're so, and then nobody else will tell you, so I'm going to lovingly tell you. Sometimes it's just a lot. You know, I'm going to move on. I was going to keep going, but I'm going to move on. So he says engage in the culture. But watch this. Watch this. When he says engage in the culture, he gives us two principles. And I want you to write these down. There are two ways he says engage. The first way is by abstaining. Now, I got to explain that because he's not saying abstain from the culture, but he says abstain from something specific that the culture tries to lure you into. Look at what he says here in verse number 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of of your flesh. One thing that this culture will always, always do until Jesus comes back for us, one thing the culture will always do is lure your passions of your flesh back in. And let me tell y'all something. Y'all, you know, I know some of y'all think your flesh is saved. It's not. Your spirit's saved. But this is why when we get to heaven, the Bible says we get brand new bodies. Your, your, your flesh is your flesh is not saved. And so there are some things that you are going to have to pay attention to your spirit, your, your sinful appetite. You're going to have to pay attention to those things and stop denying them and lying and act like it ain't there, but actually pay attention to it. Probably confess it to somebody else so that you're held accountable, but also pay attention to the things that you know will lure you in. For, for example, there, after you gave your life to the Lord, there are just some atmospheres that may not be sinful, but they're not good for you. There's some conversations that ain't bad, but it ain't good for you. There's some DMs that you're like, I would have checked this before I met Jesus, but I can't check it now. Because if I check it now, it'll lure me in because I know what I like and his abs are out. And so I'm just not even going to check it. We, we, <laughs> what you said, Caleb? Even on your birthday, you're not preaching today, Caleb. I'm serious, man. We got we to gotta be careful. We got to be careful of the atmospheres that we, that we enter into. And sometimes, you know, because it's not, quote unquote, sinful for anybody else, we think it's okay to do. But you know that if you do it, it will pull you actually into sin. Amen. Let me give you an example. Like I have, I have friends all the time that ask me, you know, is, is, is drinking a beer sinful? And I'm usually like, if it's Miller Lite, yes. But, <laughs> you know. Um, but think about it this way. If you know that you have addictive qualities 
and you know one sip will take you out, it's probably a good thing for you to do what Peter is saying. Abstain from the passions of your flesh. There's some stuff that just ain't that bad, but it's just not good for you. And pay attention to those things and confess those things and write those things down. But I'm telling you, your flesh will always, it will always fight against your spirit. That's why the Bible says that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is it's weak. And some of y'all think y'all so spiritually strong and you're like, I would never, I would never, I would never. And you get yourself in a situation and you do it. And, and let me tell you, you did it because the flesh is weak. It'll mess you up every time. And so the first thing he says is, look, when you, I want you to engage in the culture. I, I know you're exiles or you're sojourners and it's not your home, but I want you to engage in the culture. But when you do so, there's some things that you have to be abstinent on. You, you have to walk away from. You can't engage. You just can't go. I know everybody else can do it. I know everybody else can have fun doing it, but you just can't do it. But that's not the only thing I want you to do. The second thing I want you to do first is abstain. The second is fight. Look at the text again, y'all. He says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Look at this word, wage war. Wage war is a fight. And some of us are falling and we are falling so fast and we can't understand why. I wonder it's because we're abstaining, but we're not fighting. And the two go hand in hand. When it comes to this flesh and it comes to the culture and the shiny objects in the world, you got to abstain from some things, but there are some things that you got to put on a boxing gloves and you got to get in the ring and you got to fight. Some of us have become so good. I'm a virgin again. I ain't have sex. I'm done with it. But you're not fighting your flesh. And so you're getting lured right back in because you stopped it cold turkey, but you ain't fight. And so there has to be a abstaining and there has to be fighting. And here's the thing about the fight. You will fight all the way until the Lord comes back or until you die. There's, there's never, let me just help y'all out here. There's no, I don't care even if you feel like you've overcome it and I'm done with it and I'm, I, I ain't even got an appetite for it. Be careful still of the atmospheres you go in and put up a fight because it is in those moments you will fall. The flesh is weak and it will destroy you every single time. And you're going to have to fight until God comes back. It's the great theologian Sophia from The Color of Purple. I said, all's my life. I had to fight. That's what you got to do. You got to have all my life I had to fight in your spiritual walk with the Lord. You know, Paul says something. Let me get serious. The, the, a real theologian, Paul, says something in 1 Corinthians 9 that's so interesting. He, he, talks about, he talks about his flesh. And he says in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, I discipline my body to keep it under control. Let me read it in the NIV. In the NIV, it says, I strike blows to my body and make it my slave. See, this, this is why some of us mosey on into sin. We mosey into sin because we've abstained, but we haven't fought. Paul is like, I got to strike my body to make it behave. I, I got I to strike blows to my body. I got to say, uh-uh, not today. You're not doing that today. And you have to do that because the moment you don't do that, you will fall subject. And let me tell you something about fighting. Fighting sometimes, fighting sometimes isn't throwing punches. Because I, I know, you know, I know how we think about fighting. And, and the way we think about it is, think about it like a boxing match. You think a boxer is going to win because he's throwing blows. That's not, that's, not, that's not the strategy for a real good boxer. 
Javante Davis knocked Ryan Garcia out, not because he just punched him, but because he studied his opponent. And he waited for the right moment. And he bobbed and weaved. And when the right moment, if y'all watch that, if y'all watch that fight, watch it in slow-mo when he hit him in the ribs. And all his ribs like, bloop, 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 bloop. And he fell down and he took that knee. Let me tell you why that happened. It wasn't because, yeah, he, Davis might got some, got some hands, but he also has enough, he has enough uh, awareness and he has enough uh, wisdom to say, I got to study my opponent. And here's why you study your opponent, a.k.a. the enemy. Here's why you do it, because he studied you. Oh, the reason you fall is because he knows exactly what your spirit, your sinful appetite is. And so he'll never dangle a honey bun over you if you don't like honey buns. He finds the thing you like. And he dangles that thing over you. And, and you got to study him. You got to be so, like, to me, sometimes the devil be so predictable. I'm like, oh, you thought that was going to get me. I knew that was coming. I knew that was coming because I, I know you. You are a liar. You want to kill, steal, and destroy. You don't want to hurt me. You don't want to mingle over me. You want to kill, steal, and destroy. And so therefore, I studied you, and I know you're a liar, so I got I to call you out when I see you coming. That's why the old saints used to say, the devil is a liar. I, I love this text as he says, he says, abstain from the passions of your flesh, which wage war against you. The passions of your flesh wage war against you, so therefore you got to pay attention. Well, what are the passions of our flesh, Pastor B? But what, what are those passions? I'm glad that we actually get a list in Galatians chapter 5 of the passions of the flesh. Let me read them to you real quick. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, uh, 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 idolatry, sorcery, enmity, enmity, strife, uh, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, division, enviness, drunkenness, orgies. Y'all all got a little weird last week when I said orgies. Paul, Paul says it in Galatians chapter 5. But Paul says in Galatians chapter 5 that that is actually a passion of your flesh. Now, here's the thing about your flesh. Many of you will walk out of here and you will think behavior modification. You will think, I just got to stop doing that. Or I got I to watch the thing. But, you know, this list is 15 different passions of the flesh and only three of them are actual physical sins. Sexual immorality, drunkenness, and orgies. The rest of the sins are all sins that are in our mind and our heart. You know, a lot of us are falling not because of physical sins, but because of 18 inches. There is 18 inches between your mind and your heart. And we are falling because we've become really good at stopping something, but we have not become good at waging war over the things that are in our hearts and the things that are in our minds. And y'all know it's true. If I took everything that you thought about this week and slapped it up on these screens and put your name at the bottom of it, you know you would run out of here embarrassed. You know why? Because they, we, we know how to fool everybody else, but you can, it becomes, your spiritual walk becomes real on the level of what you think and what's in your heart. There's some things that we think about. There's some things that we entertain. And here's what I love about Jesus. Jesus takes, the, Jesus takes this away from us because he says, look, if you thought it, you did it. That's what Jesus says. Jesus says, look, if you have lust in your heart, you're already guilty of the sin. And so you think you're good because you ain't have sex with her, but because you thought it, Jesus is like, I got you. It's our hearts that mess us up. So waging war and fighting cannot just, it, it has to, 
It has to start in your mind. And this is why, because yeah, if it does become a behavior, long before it was behavior, it was actually in your heart and your mind already. Don't nobody just fall and sin, bro. You ain't fall because our cleavage was out. It was in your heart and it was something in their heart that you got to get right. Since you ain't fall because you had great sweatpants on, it was something in your heart that wasn't right. Oh, y'all got it? Some of y'all a little weird on that 18 inches too. Clarify that up. I felt it right here. That's, I felt it. I felt it over here. Some of y'all got a little weird on that. Your mind and your heart. 18. I felt it behind me. Thank you, Lord. He said, he said, oh, Lord. This is, that's a, this is a prime example of what I'm talking about, our hearts. Our hearts. So, so he says, look, wage war, right? You got, you got to abstain, but you got to wage war, but you got to do so specifically against the passions of your flesh. Do not walk out of here and think the passions of your flesh are just behavior, but you also got to walk out of here and think about the stuff that we think about, the stuff that we ponder on, the stuff that's in our heart, the stuff that you think about in the middle of the night and don't nobody know, and you feel like it's not destroying you, but that's the stuff that destroys us. So verse 11 is private. Verse 11 is really private. It, it's, it's, the, it's the waging war against the passions of our flesh. This is really a, a private challenge. But verse 12 is a public challenge because in verse 12, he says, keep your, keep your conduct amongst the Gentiles, which is a code for unbelievers or non-believers. Keep your conduct among the non-believers, watch this word, honorable, so that when they speak out against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify your God in heaven, uh, glorify your God on the day of visitation. Look at these words, your good deeds your conduct, but he's talking about it in, 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 the, in the context of non-believers. In other words, Peter is like, the affirmation that you are actually a godly person is not because you are affirmed in church. The affirmation that you are a godly person is if you can be godly when you're not around believers, but you're out there. So when you're on your job, would your, would the, would your coworkers say, she's a godly person? When you're with your friends, would your friends say, look, we be trying to pull her in to do stuff, but man, she don't want to do it. She's a godly woman. But would your family members say that? Now that you have trusted in Jesus, do they see a difference to where they can pinpoint it that Jesus had made a difference in your life? Brothers, when you go to the gym, do people in the gym know you as a godly person or do they know you as the person that's trying to holler at all the girls? And, and, and sis, I, I gotta, I, ladies, I got to apologize on behalf of all the brothers because I know it's annoying. You can't even hit the elliptical without somebody coming up to you. You wiping down the elliptical and they thinking you wiping. All right, I'm going to keep moving. There's some things, there's some things that we do and some behaviors that we think is okay amongst non-believers and non-believers are looking at us like they just like us. She, she's just like me. He's just like me. And here's the crazy thing. Some of us are actually worse. Like, you're the life of the party. You're the one turning up. And even your non-believing friends are like, ah, oh, it's too much. <laughs> I, I know it's true. But he says, watch this. Keep your conduct honorable. Somebody say honorable. honorable. This word honorable, I want to give you Greek on this one too because I don't think the English language does it well. The Greek word for honorable is kalos. It, it literally means beautiful attractive or desirable. So in other words, your life among non-believers should be beautiful, attractive. 
attractive and desirable, not to you, but to your God. So when they see me, they should see God. When they hear me talk, they should hear me talk about God. When, 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 they, when they see the decisions I make, they should see a godly man making decisions. When they see you go through hardship, they should see a godly woman that is able to go through hardship. The day is over where we just come in to do church. Look, can we be, I just want, can I pass you up? I'm tired of just doing church. Like saved, like let's, like, let's do something else if we're not going to seriously want to grow. Why are we here? Why are we gathered? We can save a lot of money by not doing this. Why, why are we here if we're not going to be serious about Kalos? Attractive, beautiful, desirable lives that point us to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so this week when you go out into the coffee shop, some way, somehow the barista should know you love the Lord. And don't be deep, right? Don't be, don't be, you know, you about to pay, pay your bill and you pull out your Bible. Don't do it that way. That's, that's, that's the weird stuff I'm talking about. I'm just saying be a faithful witness. The way, we change in cult, the way we change culture is just by being a faithful witness. And, and some of you, like, you got to be intentional on this walk, man. You got to go to the same coffee shop, not because you like the coffee. You got to go to the same place because it might take some time for them, them to see the gospel on your life. You got to go around the same people. And, you know, that's one thing I love about our faith. Our faith doesn't take you and then try to change everything that you are. Like there are some aspects of your, your convictions that change, but you shouldn't talk different. You shouldn't look different. You know, sometimes, sometimes people give their life to the Lord and they, they, it's a bunch of Christianese. Their friends are like, how, how are you doing? Blessed and highly favored. Thus saith the Lord. <laughs> it's like you weren't saying that before you knew... You know, sometimes we try to change our attire, and it's a certain, a certain way Christians look, so I got I to gotta look. You know, that's one of the things I love about this church, is it's just an eclectic bunch of people that have different, different vibes and different styles, and, and God has put you in different atmospheres, and he does that so that you can walk out of here, as we say in John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you, you are sent. Go out and be salt. Go out and be light. I'm on my soapbox here, but I'm serious when I say I just want us to be a people that are serious about our faith. Remember last week when we were together and I was talking to you about spiritual lukewarmness? When I left out of here, I found myself really, really praying for you because I realized when it comes to spiritual lukewarmness, I realized, you know, I really believe that majority of this room that has professed faith in Jesus really, really wants to spiritually grow. I believe you really, like, you might have some wrestles, and it might be some things that you, you know, you're still working through. There are some people that gave their life to the Lord, and cold turkey stopped everything, but you're kind of still wrestling, and you fall, and you get back up, and you fall, and you make a mistake. Can, is, there, is the room filled with anybody that made a mistake after you met Jesus? Can I just see a, a show of hands? If you've made a mistake after you met Jesus, if you're not holding your hands up, you're a liar. Either you're a liar, or you just gave your life to the Lord a second ago. Because the rest of us in this room know that this thing, you know, this, this walk with the Lord ain't always an uphill journey. The, pave ain't, the, the, the road ain't always paved. Sometimes it's bumps and potholes. And sometimes you will fall. 
And so when I was praying for you this week and I was going, Lord, I know I talked about spiritual lukewarmness last week. And there I do believe that there are some people that are really comfortable with sin. I think it's some of you guys that are in the room right now. I'm not afraid to tell you that. I think some of y'all are really comfortable with sin and you're playing with sin. But I also believe that there is a deep desire in most of the room heart to actually follow the Lord. But you know why I prayed for you this week? Because I realized there's two things that are pushing against you. And I'm going to end here. You can play something. There's two things that are pushing against you. The first, when it comes to walking with the Lord and being faithful in a culture that honestly is anti your core values. I realize that the two things that are fighting against you, number one, is inside of you. And that's it. See, I think, you know, I think we think that when we gave our life to the Lord, like all the sinful desires, you know, just like magically went away. mystically. Some of of them do. I just want to be clear. There's some stuff that when God saved me, cold turkey, I was like, that's disgusting. I can't believe I used to do that. Yeah, that happens. But let's be honest. There are some stuff that you wrestle with and you'll always wrestle with. Always. Until Jesus comes back, you have to submit that thing to the gospel. You know why? Because he saved you from the penalty of sin, but he has not saved you from the presence of it. It's inside of you. This is why every Christian in here has two natures. There's the nature of Christ that wants to do good. And then there's the nature of the flesh that wants to pull you away. Oh, Paul talked about this. Paul talked about this. And I don't mean to keep preaching here, but Paul talked about this in Romans chapter seven. Look at the words Paul says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. Watch what he says. That is my flesh. He says, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil that I do not want to do is what I keep on doing. Is that anybody's testimony? Where you're like, God, I want to live for you. I want to live for you. But man, I keep getting pulled back into this. You know why? Because there's sin inside of us. But the second wrestle you have is not the sin inside of you, but the sin around you. And here's what I know about the culture. The objects are shiny. They look good. Smell good. They feel right. And it honestly, it will give you a temporary satisfaction. Temporary. Like, can we stop? Can we stop being dishonest and acting like sin is miserable? The outcome of sin is miserable. But let's be honest. Sometimes the act of it it's okay. Like you feel good about it, but it's temporary and it will destroy you. And y'all hear young people hear me. It will destroy you. This is why we don't, this is why we don't play with sin. This is why we don't play with our flesh. This is why we beat it. Like Paul says to make it come under subjection to the will of God, because it is so easy to get thrown off. I want to pray for somebody today. Somebody that genuinely has a desire to do right and do good and engage the culture, but you've been wrestling and the wrestle has been, it's it's turned up. The heat's turned up. It's got worse, not better. And instead of denying it and acting like it's not there, can we just submit that thing to the Lord today? If that's you, if you, if if you would just, you know, I was going to call an altar call, but if you could just raise your hand, if you would say, that's me, I have a desire to submit. I see you. I see those hands. I have a desire to submit everything to the Lord, but there are some rooms that I closed off from them. Some things that I just don't want to let them in. I see those hands. Can I just pray for us today? 
Father, I pray for everybody that's hand is up. I believe that there's somebody that's home, their hand is up. Because Lord, when you saved us, oh God, we thank you for grace and we thank you for mercy. But Lord, we, some of us want that fruit of the spirit of self-control. We just want to, we want to be able to overcome. And so Lord, help us to, first of all, celebrate the small wins. Those small wins where we, where we used to do it with ease. It's now it, there is a conviction and it leads us to repentance. Thank you, Lord. That is your grace. That is your mercy. Because you could let us continue in sin and not feel anything. That's your wrath. But you're gracious to even let us feel like this ain't right. So Lord, I pray, oh God, for more of that. I pray for the person that's hand up that, that has had moments of private sin. Well, don't nobody really know about it. We feel like I ain't hurt nobody, so it ain't that bad. Or it's private enough that it's just in our mind. I pray for somebody's mind today. Pray for somebody's mind today. There is somebody's mind, oh God, that has just been thrown off. And there's some stuff, oh God, we no longer wrestle. We no longer fight. We just succumb to whatever it is that is before us, Father. I pray, oh God. I pray for revival. Pray for restoration. I pray repentance would birth in this room. I pray that testimonies would be birthed in this room. That this time next year, oh God, that we will come back and we will say, man, I used to wrestle with this, 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 and this, and this. And God has did, I don't know what he did, but he did something and he took it away. But even in those moments, oh God, help us to stay in the ring. Let us never get caught slipping. Never. Help us, help us to put on the boxing gloves. Get in the ring and fight. Help us to study the, how predictable the enemy is. Let us tell other people so that they can hold us accountable, so they can ask us, how you dealing with that, sis? How you dealing with that, bro? Lord, put that in our life. May we not be around people that simply pat us in our sin. That was a liar. But help us to have people around us that talk straight, that are clear, but godly and honorable and kind. So we thank you, O oh God, for this word. Lord, the end of this text, O oh God, says that they may see our good deeds and glorify you. That's, that's, that's the goal, is to see Jesus be glorified. And so if he's glorified through my conduct amongst my coworkers, Lord, help me so that you can get the glory. Not unto us, not unto us, but unto your name, get the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.